Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. This for the week of February 1st to 7th, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host, John DeVille. Before getting started, we would like to send a special shout out to our good friends at GoTaikonauts and Spacewatch.Global, two excellent sources of space industry news. Also, a special thanks to my grandmother, who's letting me use her basement and internet connection for this episode. Uh, and that also probably gets us one more YouTube follower. So that, that's good. I'll have to say the basement background. Uh, this week, we're going to give updates on a couple of Chinese commercial launch companies that have had some significant events over the past week. Uh, some policy updates from the Beijing municipal government and also some news from China's Mars mission. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. Our first piece of news this week comes from iSpace, also known as Interstellar Glory Space Technology, one of China's leading commercial launch companies. On Monday, February 1st, the company attempted the second launch of its Hyperbola 1 rocket, and uh, the launch attempt ended in failure, with both the fir- uh, well, with anomalies in the first and second stages of the four-stage rocket. Um, iSpace is noteworthy because in July of 2019, they became the first commercial launch company in China to successfully orbit a rocket with the Hyperbola 1's maiden flight. Um, Over the past couple of years, they have been in parallel developing, um, you know, further developing the Hyperbola 1 and also developing the Hyperbola 2, which is a larger rocket. so a couple of, of, I guess, noteworthy points about uh, about the the launch. So first, um, it you notice from a couple of photos taken that there were some fairly significant modifications made um, between the first launch of the Hyperbola One and the second launch over the course of that eighteen months. So the failure was seemingly not on a rocket that was you know fully similar to to the previous one. Um, also, a little bit noteworthy is the. Um, the timing of the launch. So iSpace about two weeks ago uh, had a very, very brief announcement that was made by the authorities at the Shanghai Star Board, which is kind of uh, China's tech stock market, um, talking about the company wanting to file to do an IPO on China's Star Board. And so it's not entirely clear whether this failed launch is going to impact their IPO plans. Um, but most probably, given that iSpace is still probably the most advanced or one of the most advanced commercial launch companies in China, um, they're still probably a hot commodity. And this is particularly true given the number of IPOs that we're seeing in China right now, especially in the tech space and in areas that are kind of um, of favor to the government right now. And so I, I don't necessarily think that the launch failure is going to have a major impact impact on, on their IPO plans. Um, I would just uh, close out and, and turning it over to John here by, by saying that I think that the launch may, however, uh, provide a window of opportunity for for land space or potentially even galactic energy or, or one of a couple of other launch companies um, to really kind of jump out and take the lead as, as the kind of undisputed leading commercial launch company in China. So as we've mentioned on a couple of different episodes, there are a lot of launch companies in China and uh, several of them are, are kind of quite a bit older, more established, a lot more funding, a lot more employees, and they're all kind of jockeying for, for position as the sort of most advanced. Uh, and iSpace, 
by virtue of having been the first commercial launch company in China to successfully launch a rocket into orbit, um, I mean, that that really speaks volume. You know, Landspace had raised more money at, at a certain point, but it's like, well, if you're the first, you know, you're the only ones who have gotten a rocket successfully into orbit. Um, so again, with this setback, it's possible that another launch company uh, will be able to to kind of jump ahead in this race, but uh, it is still very much a, a multi-horse race, and uh, we're probably only, you know, one-eighth of the way through the race, so we are we are not even close to the, the final furloughs, if I will end the, the horse racing analogy there. Uh, Jean, anything from your side on the iSpace uh, launch failure and, and related developments? I agree, basically, with uh, both of your points. I think that uh, it's it's just a temporary setback. Um, I, I I do agree that this probably opens a window of opportunity for the rocket companies, and um, probably the ones that come to mind is are the companies that are also building a similar um, well solid fueled small rocket expendable expendable rocket, and um, and so typically Galactic Energy, which uh, launched their first um, the Series One rocket for the first time in November um, last year, Land Space perhaps not so much because they did sort of shelve um, their Jutria 1 rocket and can have a, a listen to our episode 6 of Dongfang Hour where we interview Kevin Shu from um, from Landspace uh, right on that topic. Um, it could also benefit maybe companies like Deep Blue Aerospace. So they're, they're a company that's uh, specifically focusing on liquid-fueled rockets, but they have a Nebula 1, one rocket that's expendable, that's um, light lift, that has similar payload capacities, ca- capabilities, and um, so... Typically, these other second-generation companies could also benefit from this um, slight setback um, from iSpace. But I I agree with you. It's definitely a temporary setback. Um, iSpace is one of the companies that has um, commercial launch companies that have, you know, the best reputation, notably in terms of um, their their core technical teams, also their financial backing. They raised, I think, forgot the exact amount, but I think it was somewhat around 200 million US dollars. And yeah, I think... Globally, what will be defining for the company is not really this failure, or just not even the Hyperbola 1, but more or less how the Hyperbola 2 um, test launches go. And so we know that in, in 20, 2021 this year, they're planning to do hop tests. And then potentially if that all goes okay, they would uh, have the first orbital launch of the Hyperbola 2. So I think that is really what everyone's focusing on, as well as how their competitors are doing for that category of launch vehicle. So just one last point about iSpace, and I, I, I will open this to, to any of our viewers or listeners because I have not had time to do so much digging uh, before this, but but I, I did notice on their uh, Hyperbolic 1 rocket that they attempted to launch on Monday, there was some, it was Chinese characters, but it was not really Chinese characters. So, I mean, it, it looked very much like Chinese characters, but they weren't actually characters and and so um i suspect there's a story there somewhere but but um it it was kind of it it, it looked like it may have been you know taking different radicals that were not normally put together and, and made but um jean did you I, I don't suppose you had done any any digging or anything and, and again if any of our, our audience members have been looking on the chinese internet and found any information on this uh welcome to put it in the comments but um and we'll post a photo as well just for for any any cryptologists out there jean had you come across anything about that or I think it's it's I think it had a, a payload that was linked to an artist called Shubing, Shubing, and oh, okay. maybe uh, the yeah the painting or the characters the fictional characters that are on the rocket are linked to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we can confirm that in in the show notes. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a look around. And again, if anyone has come across anything on that, always welcome to uh, to speak up. That would be. Excellent. So moving on to our next piece of news, uh, an important meeting from the Beijing municipal government that has involved a couple of policy updates related to space. 
So last week we saw the Municipal People's Congress of, well, so I guess first just a very short clarification. Uh, so in China, there are four cities that have sort of provincial level control, which basically means that they're sort of like a state amongst themselves. So they have their own kind of state government and, and they have a, a rather higher level of power than any other city. So these four are Beijing, Shanghai, uh, Chongqing, and Tianjin. And so uh, Beijing was having its its Municipal People's Congress of, of the Beijing sort of municipal level, uh, sorry, provincial provincial level city uh, just this past week, where the city's leaders discussed basically key tasks for the upcoming one year and then also some points for the upcoming five-year plan period, so 2021 to 2025. And so um, some interesting figures and also a little bit of a review from the last five years. So so a couple of, of headline kind of more macroeconomic figures. Uh, you had the Beijing government targeting 6% economic growth for the city in 2021, as well as below 5% unemployment rate and 3% consumer price inflation, consumer, 3% inflation. Um, a couple of other things that kind of stuck out to me as interesting figures, again, more kind of macro level. Uh, so Beijing's per capita GDP has increased to about 24,000 US dollars as of 2020, up from about 18,000 US dollars in 2015. So quite impressive growth rate, although not as fast as it would have been, say, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and also a quite impressive average, you know, income. I mean, that, that $24,000, I think, is quite comparable to most, uh, you know, or, or many European countries, I, I suppose. Um, so these are the kind of high level um, uh, discussions that were occurring at the, this Beijing Municipal People's Congress. Um, also at this Congress were a couple of things specifically related to space. And so there was a report, uh, or there was an article released by um, the Chinese space industry think tank and event organizer Future Space um, that discusses a little bit more about the, the space ramifications of this meeting in Beijing. And the um, there's a, a handful of kind of nebulous, you know, government phrases like promoting high quality development and, uh, you know, developing services that can be used across the Belt and Road and developing the digital economy. Um, but then they also specifically mentioned that Beijing would like to encourage the development of a satellite internet industry uh, and also accelerating development for high end precision sensors for space and aerospace. And so we have a couple of, of specifically space industry initiatives that are going to be on the table. I, I, it seems certainly over the course of the next year and potentially over the course of the next five year plan for Beijing. Uh, one last thing to wrap up here that I'll turn it over to Jean is that this really uh, dovetails well with what we were hearing from uh, Dong Lu of Comsat in our Dongfang Hour episode seven, uh, when talking about kind of the provincial and city governments and the support that they are offering um, for for certain industries that are kind of of national importance. And so in the case of Comsat in, in our previous episode, um, they were talking about how they're, they're building a factory in, in Tangshan in, in Hebei province, which is about two hours from, from Beijing, uh, while having the, the management of the company still being in, in Beijing. So you have a situation where um, kind of the higher end stuff is is going to be happening in, in Beijing. And then you have these kind of constellations of cities and, and provinces built around there um, that are for kind of varying levels of, of economic activity. So so again, it's, um, you know, coming from the, the capital in China, this is an interesting development. Beijing has uh, its, you know, its, its GDP of, of the municipality is, I had the number earlier, what was it? It was a whopping 3.6 trillion renminbi in 2020. So about 500 billion US dollars. Um, so this is a very big, you know, it's a big economy. It's a big, big place. And so it's, it's good to have that uh, in one's corner if you're trying to develop a satellite internet infrastructure uh, base, you could say, or in industry base, as it were. Uh, Jean, anything from you on, uh, on the Beijing side of things? 
Uh, not exactly on Beijing, but you I, you mentioned ComSat and government support. We're talking about satellite internet, mm. and I think one very tangible example of the government supporting um, well the satellite internet um, part of this new infrastructure policy is the new round of funding that we've seen ComSat raise in the past week. ComSat announced that they had raised something in the order of magnitude of a hundred million RMB uh, from the CIIF. So the CIIF is the China Internet. Um, investment fund and what that is. I think this is actually what's the most interesting about this piece of news other than just another round of funding. So the CIIF is the, um, well, it's a fund that has very high support at the highest level of of, of the government since it is co-founded by the Ministry of Finance and also the Cyberspace Administration of China. And so they were founded in 2017 uh, with an initial capital of 100 billion RMB and their initial objective uh, is to support and to develop all the, um, well, core internet industries. And so what this is, is you have catchy words, you know, artificial intelligence, um, you know, cloud computing, big data, machine learning, this sort of stuff. But this is the very first time with this um, ComSat, uh, ComSat fund round of funding that CIIF is investing in a space company. And it's definitely um, no coincidence that it's, um, well, a satellite manufacturer that's targeting specifically, um, you know, satellite platforms and also terminals on the ground that are dedicated to, well, com- communication applications. And so I think this is, again, this is another example of support, not from provincial governments, but from the central government of, yeah, support of the, satellite um, part of this new infrastructure policy, which is much larger and that includes a, a lot more a lot more things. True, and a lot more CapEx as well. So yeah, that's a very good point. And, uh, and our viewers and listeners this week get five news items for the price of four. That, that's very kind of you to slip in the ComSat funding round there in the, in the Beijing update. That's, <laughs> all right, so moving on to, um, to OneSpace, a company that we have not heard from in a little while. And, and uh, we had, you know, I, I had almost left them for dead for, for one, but, but uh, they had completed a successful re-entry test launch this week of their OSX 6B, saddle, uh, 6B rocket. And that was on the, the 5th of February. Uh, so the launch took place from, uh, my notes say Northwest China, and I'm going to guess that means Jiuquan, but I don't have it written in my notes, but, uh, let's say Northwest China. Um, the test flight took about 580 seconds, reaching an altitude of 300 kilometers. The one highlight that I would mention that I think is quite noteworthy is that the rocket, uh, was called the Chongqing Liangjiang Star, which, um, is an homage to the, the Liangjiang new area of Chongqing. And this is something we've seen before from, from one space. Um, and, and so just a, a little bit of a deep dive into Chongqing and new areas and what does this all mean? So as I had mentioned earlier, uh, Chongqing is one of the four cities that has a provincial level city status. So they have a, a big city government, a lot of power, a lot of relatively a lot of autonomy. And within Chongqing, they are building several uh, new districts. Now, most Chinese cities have these new districts. And basically what it involves is finding a large plot of land outside of the city that's being used by farmers and saying, let's turn this into an industrialized or, or development area or, or a residential area, whatever we want to do. And so basically you have these different new districts that are oftentimes purposed for different things. And Liangjiang New District is a very, very, very big new district. And I, I, off the top of my head, I don't recall the exact designation that it has, but there are a handful of new districts in China, including like Liu Jiazui in, in Shanghai, um, that have a kind of uh, like national level special new district kind of thing. And Liangjiang is, is one of them. So this is a very big 
new district in a city that is 35 million people and it has its own, well, a, a provincial level city area that has 35 million people. It's not really one city, but, but that's another story for another podcast. Um, digressing, Liangjiang is, is this new district. The government of Liangjiang has given one space a lot of support in terms of, um, we don't know if it's direct financial support, but you know, land and other tax incentives can be assumed. Um, and, and interestingly, one space, uh, either last year or potentially in 2019, uh, they moved their headquarters from Beijing to, to Chongqing. And, and this is something we've seen with a couple of other companies. I think we mentioned a few weeks ago, um, is it uh, Deep Blue Aerospace that now seems to have potentially co-headquarters in Beijing and Nantong, something like this. Um, so, so this moving of their headquarters to, to Liangjiang, to Chongqing, uh, seemingly by, uh, it, it is, you know, because one space is getting support from from this this uh, city government, and and again this has been reflected in the rockets uh, that they launched being called the the Liangjiang Star, or the Chongqing Liangjiang Star. Um, yeah, and I guess one one last just point I guess about the Chongqing industrial base more generally. Uh, so Chongqing is about an hour and a half by high speed train from from Chengdu, uh, which is another very big city in southwest China that has seen a lot of city government support for satellite manufacturing and also for things like electronic um, uh, like payloads and, and electronic components and ground terminals, this type of thing. There's a couple of very, very good universities in Chengdu, and there's also the CETC, which we have discussed on a couple of different episodes. So um, yeah, seems like this kind of cluster of companies around Chongqing and Chengdu can chalk up another, uh, you know, small win in their in their column for one space having completed the successful uh, test launch this week. So, Jean, if you want to take us back from the abyss of provincial level uh, policies and and special administrative, you know, zones, etc., um, do you have any rocket related stuff to talk about from this rocket launch? Well, to go back on your first point, I, I agree that I I well I, yeah I probably thought that as well. One space was left for dead after it's basically they had what what happened. Going back to the history of One Space, they they were a company that was quite visible all the way up until March 2019, where they attempted their first orbital launch of the OSM rocket, um, which failed. And after that, um, well, they went absolutely quiet. There were rumors that core technical team members uh, had left the company, uh, were disbanded, and that after, but also before the failed orbital launch. And I think that these rumors to, to some extent are true. We have, for example, quite a few um, second generation uh, launch companies that are actually founded by former people coming from one space. Um, and and basically, yeah, nothing, nothing um, on mm, the company all the way until September last year in 2020. And we po- reported about that. We we found out, and it was a very low key um, piece of news that uh, One Space had actually raised a C round of funding um, uh, from the early investors. And the fact that it was the early investors uh, continuing to invest in One Space showed continued confidence in the company and perhaps the modifications of its strategy regarding launch. And um, and among these early investors, there was um, the um, the Liangjiang district um, of, of of Chongqing. So that's probably why um, One Space continues to name its rockets, um, you know, Liangjiang Star. Um, this sort of those two rivers, yeah, mm, yeah, those two rivers. <laughs> Liangjiang meaning two rivers. I cut you off with my absolutely. Yeah, that was a that was an inside joke for the Chinese speakers. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Apologies to any non-Chinese speakers listening. And I think one other thing that was interesting in the article that they published after the successful suborbital launch um, a couple of days ago was they stressed the value uh, proposition in the business case for um, launching suborbital rockets. Um, you know, 
putting stress on how this um well it can it can really simulate a lot of the um you know the harsh space environment simulating um the vacuum of space simulating um the very harsh temperatures the hypersonic speeds um the altitude i mean the rocket did reach 300 kilometers um so so yeah basically it's it's nice to see that they're putting a lot of i mean interesting to see that they're putting a lot of emphasis on suborbital uh, whereas mm. i guess that wasn't that much the case uh back before the uh, you know the 2019s well, I mean, it's certainly one way of differentiating a little bit. You don't see too many other companies really focusing on that. Um, and, and I think also um, it's interesting because I, I recall, and I, I could be just completely misremembering, but that would seem unlikely. I recall after the, their first failure on their website, they, they like split up their, their product line into like, you know, purely rockets and, and kind of more like related products. And even some like was it satellite manufacturing or like, or some ground terminal some something that that was you know not not particularly related to um to rocketry even but um mm. yeah i mean it, again it, it's and, and again i mean this goes back to uh what we do say sometimes that in china it, you know it is rather difficult to start a new space company but it is even more difficult to kill a new space company they they do not die and so um we should not be surprised i suppose by this uh totally unexpected mm. update from from one space and, and and congratulations to them and to the team at one space that, that's a cool that's a good accomplishment and um yeah we hope to hear more from from one space moving forward it's again this this multi-horse race there's a there's a lot of different horses uh entering into the year of the ox uh so uh that being said uh jean do you want to take us to our last piece of news about the uh tian one tian one one star uh, mars mission and uh some related updates yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I think the Mars missions, not just China's, but you know, coming the the other two, it's really going to be the highlight of Q1 and Q2 of this year. Um, so anyway, going back to Tian One One, we got the first ever uh, picture of Mars that Tian One One sent back um, to to Earth. So this was an an image that was shot. Um, I think it was 2.2 million kilometers away from Mars, which seems far away, but it, it's actually symbolic of how they. They're almost there. Um, the image was a beautiful monochrome image that we can see. I'll, I'll put up on the on the YouTube channel. We'll see that um, it has quite a bit of detail, and the CNSA also updated the image and pointing out the different features that are visible um, uh, on the picture. So, okay, so 1.1 um, million kilometers. Um, that sounds quite far away from Mars, but actually, we really um, the spacecraft 101 is really getting close to Mars and about to get ready to be captured by the gravitational field of the red planet. To give a quick rundown of what's going to happen next. Um, so as a quick reminder, Tian-11 lifted off uh, last year in July 23rd on board along March 5 during the uh, Mars launch window of last year. Um, it then went through uh, 460 or 470 kilo million kilometers all the way up to this day. And today it's, I think it's, I think today actually is exactly the 200th day of, since um, liftoff from Wenchang in, from July the 23rd. And what it's going to do next is on February the 10th, so just in a few days, it's going to arrive. So what, what that means is, is that it's going to fire uh, the main engine of the spacecraft um, and basically slow down sufficiently to be captured by the, um, by the red planet's gravitational field. And it, this will put the, the spacecraft in a very highly elliptical orbit, so with a periapsis of 400, 400-ish kilometers. Um, Tianwen-1 will stay in this first um, elliptical orbit for about 11 days, after which it will do some maneuvers to insert itself into 
a lower orbit, around 260 kilometers, I think, of periapsis. And this will be an observational orbit. So Tianwen-1, so altogether, the orbiter, the rover, the landing module, all these will orbit Mars for two to three months and basically observing and taking pictures of the uh, landing uh, land, potential landing sites and after which the lander will separate and begin the um, descent phase onto Mars. And so that, based on what we've seen previously, this should be happening uh, around May, although there are rumors also saying that this could happen uh, at the end of April and that would coincide um, actually quite nicely with China Space Day, which is on the 24th of April. Um, and. And so, yeah, basically, we're going to have a lot of excitement in the coming two, three months. Um, also, we have the Perseverance mission, uh, well, the Mars 2020 mission uh, from NASA uh, that's going to, well, the landing is going to be kicked off in a few few days as well. Um, so I think, yeah, it's really cool um, to have the first image from 10.1.1. And I am really looking forward to get all these cool Mars pictures from, from the multiple missions uh, from different countries. Yeah, watch Tian One get to Mars and then just have it discover some Dogecoin on the surface. You'd be like, man, Elon <laughs> Musk has way more powerful rockets than we know about if he's already been up there doing some. What a week. Uh, so, one last point about Tian One because, um, well, it's just been an interesting, interesting week in that regard. So, as we mentioned uh, two weeks ago on our news update episode 17, um, there was a, a naming contest recently. Um, for the, for the rover part of the Tianwen-1 mission. And uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been walking around Las Vegas, as I had mentioned, and I, I noticed uh, two things. So one, a lot of Chinese New Year stuff up and about, welcome year of the ox. We'll have a couple of photos posted. Um, but two, uh, one of the names of this Tianwen uh, naming competition was was Qilin or, uh, or Kirin, K-I-R-I-N, sort of a mythical half dragon, half deer. And uh, I noticed in Vegas, outside of the Aria Hotel and Casino, they have two uh, Kirins set up just right there at uh, outside the entrance. And those were not... As far as I know, Chinese New Year decorations. Those Kirin are, are there year round in case there's anyone uh, trying to rob the place. There are Kirin there on 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 guard, ready to, to spring into action. Um, so yeah, just you know, I, I it brought me back to the Dongfang Hour and just saw the uh, the Qilin, and it, it and also it made me a little bit less enthusiastic about the name Qilin for for the rover. You know, it seems too. Uh, how would you say it's 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 not abstract enough for me anymore. I just saw a Kieran right here as well. This is this is this is fine, but it's it's no longer a mythical beast. It's a statue outside the Aria for me. So, so uh, what was my second one that I had mentioned on the other episode? There was Chilin, and there was the. Uh, I don't think I'm going to come up with it right now. Anyway, um, I think yeah, it was so that's all we have. Uh, was it? Dream Chaser. Oh, yeah, you're right. Dream, yeah, Dream Meng. Yes, you're right. Yeah, wow. You got, yeah, Dream Meng. Yes, Dream Chaser. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, um, yeah, I think that's everything for the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup for the week of February 1st to 7th. Jean, anything else from your side? Or are we, we all good? I'm all good here. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for watching or listening. And uh, we look forward to welcoming you next week. Have a good, uh, have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Bye.